selections from the dolorous passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Continuing Chapter 1 Jesus in the Garden of Olives At first, Jesus looked calm as he kneeled down and prayed. But after a time, his soul became terrified at the sight of the innumerable crimes of men and of their ingratitude towards God. And his anguish was so great that he trembled and shuddered as he exclaimed, Father, if it is possible, let this chalice pass from me. But the next moment he added, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His will and that of his Father were one. But now that his love had ordained that he should be left to all the weakness of his human nature, he trembled at the prospect of death. I saw the cavern in which he was kneeling, filled with frightful figures. I saw all the sins, wickedness, vices, and ingratitude of mankind, torturing and crushing him to the earth. The horror of death and terror, which he felt as man at the sight of the expiatory sufferings about to come upon him, surrounded and assailed his divine person, under the forms of hideous specters. He fell from side to side, clasping his hands. His body was covered with a cold sweat, and he trembled and shuddered. He then arose, but his knees were shaking, and apparently scarcely able to support him. His countenance was pale, and quite altered in appearance, his lips white, and his hair standing on end. It was about half-past ten o'clock when he arose from his knees, and bathed in a cold sweat, directed his trembling, weak footsteps towards his three apostles. With difficulty did he ascend the left side of the cavern, and reach a spot where the ground was level, and where they were sleeping. He came to them, like a man overwhelmed with bitter sorrow, whom terror urges to seek his friends, but also like a good shepherd, who then, when warned of the approach of danger, hastens to visit his flock, the safety of which is threatened. For he well knew that they also were being tried by suffering and temptation. The terrible visions never left him, even while he was thus seeking his disciples. When he found that they were asleep, he clasped his hands and fell down on his knees beside them, overcome with sorrow and anxiety, and said, Simon, sleepest thou? They awoke and raised him up, and he, in his desolation of spirit, said to them, What? Could you not watch one hour with me? When they looked at him and saw him pale and exhausted, scarcely able to support himself, bathed in sweat, trembling and shuddering, John said to him, Master, what has befallen thee? Must I call the other disciples? Ought we to take flight? Jesus answered him, Were I to live, teach, and perform miracles for thirty-three years longer, that would not suffice for the accomplishment of what must be fulfilled before this time tomorrow. Call not the eight. I did not bring them hither, 
because they could not see me thus agonizing without being scandalized. They would yield to temptation, forget much of the past, and lose their confidence in me. But you, who have seen the Son of Man transfigured, may also see him under a cloud and in dereliction of spirit. Nevertheless, watch and pray, lest ye fall into temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In his overwhelming sorrow, he remained with them nearly a quarter of an hour and spoke to them again. He then returned to the grotto, his mental sufferings being still on the increase, while his disciples on their part stretched forth their hands towards him, wept and embraced each other, asking, What can it be? What is happening to him? He appears to be in a state of complete desolation. After this, they covered their heads and began to pray, sorrowfully and anxiously. When Jesus, unrelieved of all the weight of his sufferings, returned to the grotto, he fell prostrate with his face on the ground and his arms extended and prayed to his eternal Father. But his soul had to sustain a second interior combat which lasted three quarters of an hour. Angels came and showed him in a series of visions all the sufferings that he was to endure in order to expiate sin. How great was the beauty of man, the image of God, before the fall, and how that beauty was changed and obliterated when sin entered the world. He beheld how all sins originated in that of Adam, the signification and essence of concupiscence, its terrible effects on the powers of the soul, and likewise the signification and essence of all the sufferings entailed by concupiscence. They showed him the satisfaction which he would have to offer to divine justice and how it would consist of a degree of suffering in his soul and body which would comprehend all the sufferings due to the concupiscence of all mankind since the debt of the whole human race had to be paid by that humanity which alone was sinless, the humanity of the Son of God. No tongue can describe what anguish and what horror overwhelmed the soul of Jesus at the sight of so terrible an expiation. His sufferings were so great indeed that a bloody sweat issued forth from all the pores of his sacred body. Whilst the adorable humanity of Christ was thus crushed to the earth beneath this awful weight of suffering, the angels appeared filled with compassion. There was a pause and I perceived that they were earnestly desiring to console him and praying to that effect before the throne of God. Jesus, in fact, was slightly relieved at that moment. Then all disappeared, and the angels retired from our Lord, whose soul was about to sustain fresh assaults. When our Redeemer on Mount Olivet was pleased to experience and overcome that violent repugnance of human nature to suffering and death which constitutes a portion of all sufferings, the tempter was permitted to do to him what he does to all men who desire to sacrifice themselves in a holy cause. In the first portion of the agony, 
Satan displayed before the eyes of our Lord the enormity of that debt of sin which he was going to pay, and was even bold and malicious enough to seek faults in the very works of our Savior himself. In the second agony, Jesus beheld, to its fullest extent, and in all its bitterness, the expiatory suffering which would be required to satisfy divine justice. This was displayed to him by angels, for it belongs not to Satan to show that expiation is possible, and the father of lies and despair never exhibits the works of divine mercy before men. Jesus having victoriously resisted all these assaults by his entire and absolute submission to the will of his heavenly Father, a succession of new and terrifying visions were presented before his eyes, and that feeling of doubt and anxiety which a man on the point of making some great sacrifice always experiences arose in the soul of our Lord as he asked himself the tremendous question, and what good will result from this sacrifice? Then, a most awful picture of the future was displayed before his eyes and overwhelmed his tender heart with anguish. When God had created the first Adam, he cast a deep sleep upon him, opened his side, and took one of his ribs, of which he made Eve, his wife and the mother of all the living. Then he brought her to Adam, who exclaimed, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Wherefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be two in one flesh. That was the marriage of which it was written, This is a great sacrament. I speak in Christ and in the church. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was pleased also to let sleep come upon him, the sleep of death on the cross, and he was also pleased to let his side be opened, in order that the second Eve, his virgin spouse, the church, the mother of all the living, might be formed from it. It was his will to give her the blood of redemption, the water of purification, and his spirit, the three which render testimony on earth and to bestow upon her also the holy sacraments, in order that she might be pure, holy, and undefiled. He was to be her head, and we were to be her members, under submission to the head, the bones of his bones, and the flesh of his flesh. In taking human nature, that he might suffer death for us, he had also left his eternal Father to cleave to his spouse the Church, and he became one flesh with her by feeding her with the adorable sacrament of the altar in which he unites himself unceasingly with us. He had been pleased to remain on earth with his church until we shall all be united together by him within her fold, and he has said, The gates of hell shall never prevail against her. To satisfy his unspeakable love for sinners, our Lord had become man and a brother of these same sinners, that so he might take upon himself the punishment due to all their crimes. He had contemplated with deep sorrow the greatness of this debt and the unspeakable sufferings by which it was to be acquitted. Yet he had most joyfully given himself up to the will of his heavenly Father as a victim of expiation. Now, however, 
he beheld all the future sufferings, combats, and wounds of his heavenly spouse. In one word, he beheld the ingratitude of men. This has been taken from The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ from the Visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich published by Ten Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or find them on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network, news and talk for Catholic and other Christians. <laughs> 